Welcome to the Soulful CXO, where we discuss leadership principles, core values, health, wellness, and resiliency. I'm Dr. Rebecca Wynn, the founder and the host of the show. Do you have a topic or guest you would like to be featured on the show? Would you like to be a sponsor? Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at Rebecca at SoulfulCXO.com. Please go to our partner, Cybersecurity Tribe, for weekly show recaps and other resources. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. We are pleased to have with us today, Sue Bergamo. Sue is award-winning global CISO, CIO. She brings with her leadership and broad technology experience to help companies concentrate on growth by promoting innovation and productivity enhancements by creating secure cloud applications, infrastructure operations, data analytics, business process optimization, and talent management. She's held strategic positions at Microsoft, ActiveCampaign, Precisely, EpiServer, Aramark, and CVS Pharmacy. She brings considerable company experience to the small business market without bureaucracy. Sue is certified cloud architect and internal auditor, an executive committee and board member of the Society for Information Management. She also serves as program director for Brandis University and is a technical and business advisor to several startup companies worldwide. And she was recently awarded the 2022 Cybersecurity Professional of the Year by Cybersecurity Excellent Awards. Sue, my friend, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm glad to be here today. Thank you for having me. Your background is pretty vast, and a lot of us did not start up with thinking we were going to be the cybersecurity CIOs of the world today that we are. Can you tell a little bit how your career trajectory went and how that led you to be the leader that you are well known for today? Uh, thank you for asking. It, actually, it's funny. My uh, my beginnings were I started out at the ground floor as a system administrator, believe it or not, and uh, just kept raising my hand to try new things when no one else would try them. And uh, when I started out in my career, everyone had a niche skill and uh, was ridiculed actually for uh, for saying, no, I, I don't want to be pigeonholed into just one technology. I want to just try everything because things were changing so rapidly. And there were so many new technologies coming up on the market like they are today. And uh, so I just tried my hat at everything. Um, sysadmin, developer, got into program management, and finally found myself climbing the ladder all the way to CIO. And then all of a sudden, security started happening. And I said, oh, maybe this is something I should try. And got myself a dual role. And from there, it's just been a whirlwind. It's just been whirlwind. I don't even know how to call it. It's just been fascinating. I've had a great career. No, it's great. A lot of top people is put me in coach, give me a shot. I'll try my best. When you did that, did you, along the way, did you have some good mentors or sponsors that helped you out or was it just you yourself trying to figure it out? Along the way, I did have some really great mentors. I had some great managers and uh, they were willing and able to let me go because I kept raising my hand, like I said, when a lot of people wouldn't. And uh, found myself at a very young age 
getting a lot of great critical initiatives. One of my very first jobs, not in the list that you mentioned, but I was working for a liquor manufacturer. I think I was just out of college. So that was fun. And they sent me to corporate offices all by myself. I think I was 23. And I was there working with the CEO of the company and his executive team, as well as everyone else. We literally built out an office building, built up a data center within the facility, put in all the computer systems. I was working with the vendor. And this is before things like technical manuals showed up. We just rolled up our sleeves and slugged through cables, crawling in the ceilings, crawling in the floor. I learned so much because I was hands-on right from the beginning, and I just had a blast with it. That's interesting. I did that for years with the DOD as well, too, because sometimes you had to get her done, especially when you're doing big data set or cutovers and stuff like that in cores. And sometimes you just have to like put on, for me, it was my pink steel toe shoes. People couldn't believe I got that, but you can get pink and purple and blue steel toe shoes. My so- guess. Probably when you and I first started, we had to wear skirts or dresses to work. So it was an interesting, it was very interesting to have to crawl through the floors of the ceilings. Exactly. <laughs> One of the things that you mentioned is about things even before that there was a lot of manuals and things along those lines. I tell people, and I said, yeah, maybe slash H, it must be something like that. But it's staying up all those hours and reading and figuring it out. And that's when people say, to me, they're like, how did you get so technical? It's because one, I had to read about it, try and figure it out. A lot of times, a lot of YouTube and stuff like that wasn't out there. And then I had to have people who would support me, allow me to have keys on the keyboard and better have backups when you can need backups because you have to go ahead and give it a try. Is that what you found out too, that it was really the school of hard knocks? Uh, hard knocks was the only way to learn. I feel sorry for the young professionals of today because the cell phone is is great. The smartphone, they didn't have the opportunities that we did when a lot of things were just coming onto the marketplace. You know, my, literally one of my very first roles, I was managing a data center for a vendor and I used to call them the washing machines. The discs were like a big LP 33 kids today don't even know what that is. They were five discs wide and I'd crawl, literally crawl on top of the disc drive because I was too short to screw it into the top loader. And uh, at the same time, X25 was just coming out as a network and uh, just working with R and D they'd go off and they'd engineer something. And they had me as a, someone who would go back and and try it and give them feedback. And it was really an exciting time. And that job, I'll never forget. It was my very first day. I was really young. And my very first day on the job, I don't even think I was in the building for 45 minutes. And one of the major, one of the main systems went down and everybody looked at me, here's a building of uh, 200, I don't even remember how many people were in the building, call it 200 experts. I literally just showed up. I I happened to have been a customer and they were like, go fix it. And I was like, what? (laughs) So nobody knew what was going on. There was no documentation. The prior admin had left months in advance. The thing was just fit to be disrupted and have an outage. And 
I just remember working for the next several months, morning, noon, and night with so many great experts and learning hands-on to get that system back up and running. It was a terrific experience. You're well known for building up security teams, SOC teams, things along those lines, data center teams that you talked about. But there's challenges with, I would just say, those who are maybe less experienced and younger than us because they don't have that hands-on experience. A lot of them have never even been into a data center. They've never even seen this equipment. How do you try to train them up on that or how do, what do you seen as being successful? And also, what do you see as the limitations? That is really a great question. I talk to people about this all the time. So I believe in mentoring individuals. I, it doesn't matter how old or how young they are. And by the way, I make no excuse for my years of experience because I've been known as someone who can go into companies and transform and and make things happen when others couldn't. And I think that's because of my vast amount of experience in so many different areas. But I believe in giving individuals a safe environment to fail. It's, I'm not going to just call it innovation, but give them an opportunity to learn a new skill. And if they have someone that they can work with to help mentor them while they're learning this skill, then they'll get more confidence. And if it doesn't work out, it's fine doesn't work out. But I just believe in giving people the opportunity to learn something new. And I want to do something that if any of my team, my prior team members see, they'll chuckle, but this is my management style. And your hand hand of five fingers, my hand. Yeah. Because it, it represents the team. And I believe in supporting everyone. And I also believe in cross training everyone because Our jobs as leaders is to make sure that we keep the lights on. But at any given point in time, somebody may not show up for the day and you need to keep the ball rolling. The hand represents the broader community, the broader team, which is your business partners, your customers, where the fingers are your actual team. And so I do, I cross train individuals and I make sure that people have people to work with in a, not just a buddy system, but a peer and uh, and then give them opportunities to have mentoring and safe places to try new things. A lot of people have fear, uncertainty, and doubt when you do cross-train somebody or you have their backup that the reason that you are doing that is because you want me to train my replacement. How do you handle that? So in my shop, I don't allow politicking and backstabbing. So I build a team on trust. And if you have a team that's built on trust, you don't have people that are normally worried about somebody taking their role. And a good leader should be looking for their next successor. So again, I don't allow politicking in my shop. I tell people that right from the beginning. So somebody wants to rise to the occasion and be my replacement, I'll train them. Absolutely. When you say that you build it on trust, What does that mean? What does that look like? How do you do it? I believe it it works the first off from having transparency, right? As a good leader, you should be as transparent with your team as possible, setting clear directions, giving people the opportunity to be successful through various initiatives that they can execute upon, giving them the 
good guidance and oversight that you're showing them how to actually execute on an initiative. And once people understand that you have their back, good, bad, or indifferent, no matter what has happened, it does build a level of trust. And then making sure that people understand, even in their one-on-ones, that you're not there just to give them a hard time. You're there to help them grow. And that starts to foster that level of trust. If they can trust me, they can trust each other. And uh, open communication, open visibility into what the other individuals on the team are doing and asking for advice. Can you walk us through what is an effective one-on-one? Sometimes it just people walk into one-on-ones and you hear them talk and it's just someone just yelled at them for 20 minutes and it doesn't build that trust, that transparency and get work done. Can you walk us through what a one-on-one looks like from your perspective? Yeah. So I don't yell at people. I probably count on one hand less than one hand, how many times it's actually happened. Like we're all adults. We're not going to work to be babysat or micromanaged. So first and foremost, you have to give people the autonomy to go do what it is that they need to go do. If you need to ask me every step of the way all day long, then you shouldn't be in management or any kind of leadership position. I want I want free thinkers. If they're aligned to the objectives and goals of the organization and the company, then they know what they should be doing. A good one-on-one is, of course, chit-chatting at first, right? Because you have to get to know each other so you have a level of respect. And then when they have a set of initiatives, you go through them in priority order. And it's not just status for me. It's I want to talk about issue and risk, right? As long as you're on track, on budget, like I, I'm probably going to go to some some of the status meetings because I like to be as hands-on as I can be and supportive as I can be to my team. But a lot of it is, I just want to talk about issues and risks and then walk them through what are you going to do to get out of it? If I need to give advice, I'm happy to do, but I'd rather teach that leader how to come up with their own their own solutions. And one of the things that I do that's more on the security side is uh, I run simulations, uh, breaches when I haven't told anyone. Usually it's the CEO and then my manager. I'll let them know that I'm going to run a breach. And uh, I don't even tell my SecOps team. I don't tell anyone. And what I want to see is who's going to rise to the occasion. I usually make myself unavailable during this event. And typically what I'll do is I'll hire a vendor to come in and attack us in a white hat manner. And uh, and I want to see who's losing their cool, who's got solutions, who notices. And then we do a lessons learned when it's all over. The last one that I did, it literally was in like, less than two minutes that somebody called me and said, oh my God, we're under attack. I stopped it. And I said, that's terrific. Now open that, go ahead and open the port back up or whatever it was that we had done. And I said, don't tell a soul I'm running a breach and uh, I want to see who else notices. So it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. My IT director walked into my office I thought he was going to pass out. He's we're under attack. It's coming from all different sources. He was just like white as a ghost. And I was like, 
okay, sit down. I have to tell you something. And then he was like, I can't believe you did that to me and didn't tell me. But it was like, let's see who rises to the occasion. So it was good. The right people in that situation noticed. And uh, and then the rest of the troops rose to the occasion as well. Well, that's always good to do. And it's amazing how many companies don't do that. I always one of the people I always start to make sure that general counsel <laughs> is one of the people who knows that about that as well, too. One, I don't want the vendors have to get a call, get out of jail car. They have a letter that says that this is what they're authorized to do, not authorized to do. Plus, if they get caught directly, then they can go ahead and show that letter says this is what's happening. But the one thing that's interesting where I've, especially when I advise companies and going as a consultant like you do, is where they paid an outside company to do all this pen testing and stuff like that. They need for PCI and a variety of different stuff. And then you find out that the networking team is watching the testing and they're trying to read more like red team, blue team. And so they're going, oh, I can see what they're doing. And so they start trying shutting ahead of them solely to quote unquote pass. And then as soon as those auditors leave, then they revert, which really negates your testing. So how do you go ahead and explain to the teams and to the executives about when you're running these tests, we're doing that because we rather go ahead and pay for a firm to test us, tell us where we need to shore up, work with us to shore it up versus having us try and hide and evade, just revert, and then the bad guys are going to get in. How do you handle those types of situations? Yeah. And those are really two different types of situations. The first one that I mentioned, it is a simulated breach. I want to see who is going to notice it and start defending. In the other one, which is pen testing, I make sure that everyone's involved and that they understand the scope of the test. Usually, more than likely, the IT team is involved, the network team is involved, the engineering team is involved because they're the ones that have to scope the test out. And then the day of the test, and usually with the pen test, it's multiple days or even a week, depending on how big the platform is. Everyone is very much aware what's happening and they know to leave it alone because they've been part of that scoping process. And that's how I differentiate between the two. We also are seeing right now AI is coming into the picture, risk management. We saw that just added into the ISO framework and things along those lines. You know, what along those lines concern you, if any of it, leading into going into 2025? I'm excited about. AI. I really am. And I'm trying to be on the forefront and getting in there and talking to companies about acceptable use and how to govern AI. It's being used. My first advice is don't try to stop the use. Just try to put a parameter around it. Don't put PHI or PI into an AI engine. But I'm excited about the possibilities. I work with a lot of startup companies and they're using AI technologies for all kinds of great reasons and purposes. And so the technology is going to get smarter, hopefully, not hopefully, I'm confident that we're going to be able to defend against these cyber attackers a lot better in the future. And that makes me excited. Now, on the flip side of that statement, the cyber criminals have it too. And our world is going to continue to get more complex. But if we have AI combating and defending against AI, hopefully the cyber wars will continue and the good guys will win. 
maybe I'm being a little Pollyanna, but that's my version of it in my head right now. Yeah, studies right now are showing that 7 to 10% of sense of data is actually going out of the organizations due to all these generated AIs and stuff like that. You mentioned about having protections and stuff in place. What kind of uh, protections do you think companies should be doing? To me, just adding a sentence into your acceptable use policy is thou shalt not use AI is not going ahead and putting additional security measures. And it's not working one with the business to find out why they want to use it and, and how you can go ahead and be a steward to trying to help them use it just responsibly. So how do you advise companies along those lines? Yeah, I agree with you. Acceptable use is something that you have to do from a legal and compliance standpoint, but that's not the education. Companies may send out their acceptable use policy on an annual basis, but it's really, I believe, up to the CISO to get out there and start being the cheerleader and the educator for every line of business and sending out information around acceptable use and then working with the individuals that may be using AI to talk to them about what is acceptable and how to use it. And I think it's just, in in this case, rolling your sleeves up and getting a little bit more granular with the individuals because there has to be a parameter. Also product, right? You got to work with your product management team to make sure that they're writing the specs correctly on how to design new products for AI use. Yeah, one thing it's if you're like, oh, we can, we can go ahead and use ChatGPT or generate AI, any type of flavor that you guys want. There's like a thousand different programs out there for our policies and procedures. And so I asked them, I said, so how do you know that AI is not going to write their own policy in their own favor? If you're talking about acceptable use for AI and you're talking about me, I'm going to write it faithfully as possible. So I don't think I would have AI write my policy on acceptable use for AI. Yeah. Two, policy is just written for what? the company is doing in the current environment that is not implementation. So while there aren't any real controls out there yet for AI, you can take that, you know, that information that you've set forth in your policy and just make sure that there's oversight into its actual use uh, within those teams that, you know, are responsible to use AI technologies. And once people understand the guidelines, I firmly believe that they will do the right thing because, again, people don't want to be micromanaged. You just have to give them the parameters and then occasionally make sure that your governance process is working. As we move into 2025 and we're going through emerging technologies, what do you see is on the roadmap for CISOs? We talk a lot about CISOs and our evolution and that title's evolution. Maybe we'll have multiple CISOs in companies, things along those lines. What do you see happening? I see two things happening. I'm going to stay with the tech first. So because I work with so many great startup companies, there are at least two firms that I'm aware of right now that are head and shoulders above everyone else. I'm going to call them futurists in the cyber world. And they're both in stealth, so I won't name them. But if that is the level of technology that's coming out of some of these startups, and one of them is Israeli, the other one is US-based, I am absolutely, I'm so excited about what's going to happen in the future. And if the industry's here, these companies are here. It's just fascinating. I'm so glad to 
be able to help advise and be part of their process from the ground floor up. So there's some great tech coming. That's first and foremost. I am seeing something in the industry because I watch patterns for a living and I'm a little disconcerted by what I'm seeing as well as I do. We're both CISOs and we, we've been around the block. We have experience and we're also well-rounded individuals. And what I mean by that is as CISO, we have skills in many areas and very broad areas. And we go deep when we need to, we stay strategic most of the time, but we have a broad set of skills that let us understand the landscape. What I'm seeing in the industry right now, which is frightening, is that the CISOs in this economic climate are being I'm going to say demoted from executive level. Like we were almost there in the corner office or at the board. And now all of a sudden companies don't want us and we're, the roles are being considered mid-level management and the titles are going down to director and senior director. And in many cases, the SecOps manager is being promoted to the director, senior director, and called the InfoSec lead. Now, I have a lot of respect for SecOps managers. Please don't take what I'm saying incorrectly. But those individuals, if that is their primary experience, really don't have the landscape to look more broadly around the threats that an organization is facing. And I'm hoping that it's a short-lived pattern due to economic conditions within companies holding back. I hope it's not here to stay because I think that it's a Band-Aid and companies need to understand that it's not about just defending against the breach. It's about putting in a secure foundation that prevents breaches. And so if business turned on its head, I'm sounding the alarm for concern. No, I agree with you. We're going to always see breaches, but not going to have the knowledge and experience to go ahead and get through them holistically, not only from a tech perspective, but being able to help retain customers and get that confidence. Because a CISO to me, at least me personally, I'm always not only the chief information security officer, I'm really your chief trust officer. And that is getting separated out. I agree. And I think if you couple that with the liability that we're facing as individuals, I think that not just board members and CEOs, but an entire executive team really needs to take security seriously because we're not the only ones that are on the hook now. They're also on the hook, the rest of the C-levels. And uh, with what happened with the ex-Uber CISO, as well as the SolarWinds CFO and prior CISO uh, getting a Wells letter, I understand why people are getting out of this position. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart on a good day. And then if you put a little liability against it, it's something to be concerned with. Our time has flown by. It's gone short. How can people reach out to you for advisory services, keynote speaking, and things along those lines? 
Thank you, Rebecca, for having me. I appreciate it. If anyone wants to reach out to me, uh, they can contact me at sue at btepartners.com. Sue, thank you for being on the show. You are a soulful CXO. Thank you. 